are so many things that go into the way uh, we think, why we think the way we think. Um, anybody who's had more than one child uh, come into your home, you know that they come into the world wired differently. Uh, the first child comes into the home and uh, very calm and sedate. Hello, mother, father. No rush on this, but at some point I would like to be fed, but hey, I can wait. The next one comes into the home. Hey, food, here, now. <laughs> I mean, you just know that, that, that little babies come into the world and their brain already has a certain wiring to it, and uh, no two babies are quite alike. And so we start off just with sort of a given of, of a way we process information that is just sort of um, put into us biologically, um, but then it, 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 those opening years, what we do is we start developing uh, survival mechanisms. Uh, um, you know, you, everything was going just fine. I was warm and I was comfortable, you know, for the most part. And, and then suddenly something happened and I'm out in this world thing and there's lights and stuff and I get cold and I get hungry. And what's with that? And then you figure out, as a small infant, you figure out, because your eyes are still blurry, you can't focus yet, and there are big blobs in my life. And these big blobs have the deep voices, and you know, whenever those deep-voiced blobs come into my life, I get fed, I get clothed, I get changed, I, 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 I'm warmed, I'm comforted, somebody picks me up. And so you suddenly realize, my goal in life is to keep these big blob people coming into my life. Now, how can I do that? Oh, I noticed something. Every time I cry, they come around. This is, this is a neat thing. You know? And the louder I cry, the quicker they come. And in fact, if I can just put that little timber in my, or timbre, in my voice <laughs> that, uh, uh, you know, that just has a little strain to it, they'll come running to me. And so we learn that crying gets stuff out of the big people. And, and as we're growing up, we, we're developing these mechanisms. How can I make sure they feed me and they take care of me? And all this is going on at a subconscious level. You never knew it was happening. And so by the time you start having a conscious memory, and for most people that's four or five, somebody's going to come up after the service and say they have a memory of one. Sorry, you don't win. My aunt told me she remembers being born. So... Um, that, that, was, that was fine. Uh, but, but the point is, by the time you're four or five, you have all these thought processes, all these ways of coping with the world, of trying to make sure you're taken care of, and they're wired into your brain, and it happened at a subconscious level. You don't remember doing it. It's just sort of handed to you. Now, in a, in a good family, of course, these are good survival mechanisms, um, but in a dysfunctional family, they can be very harmful and very, uh, 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 you know, sort of detrimental to your life. And so as you become aware of things as a child, then you, you start to develop more uh, mechanisms. How do I relate to people? How do I get through stress? How do I uh, manage a, a, a moment of anxiety? It's in the childhood years that you learn a very important lesson, that whenever the teacher asks a question, raise your hand. Who knows the answer to this question? I have no idea. <laughs> Why? Because we've learned that teachers never call on people who raise their hands. 
they always call on the person who doesn't because they want a teachable moment or something. If you say, hey, I've got the answer, then you're fine. And so you raise your hand so they'll leave you alone. I mean, it's a very basic survival mechanism. So you, you go through the preschool years and the early childhood years developing all these skills as a way to cope with, with life and with anxiety and stress. And then you hit the adolescent years and you basically you know, travel off to another planet. And then you come back and the... <laughs> you think I made that up, don't you? <laughs> I did. But you come back and, and then in your early 20s, you're, you're launching out. Okay, in your mid-twenties, you're launching out. In your early thirties... <laughs> okay, it works a, a lot of different ways. But, it, but at some point, then you launch out into, world, uh, into the world on your own, and you're using all kinds of thought processes and survival mechanisms in your head that you've developed as a child and as a teenager, and really as, a, as, a, as an infant, and all these mechanisms you've used to, to survive in life emotionally and socially and so forth, uh, they may or may not work. They may be very good and you're going to be great in life, but they may be a little dysfunctional. And they may be a little broken and they may be a little bit wounded. And that's why I say we spend the first 20 years of our, of our lives growing up. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out what happened. Uh, you know, God-centered, Christ-honoring therapy is not a bad thing when it helps you get in touch with you know, what went on? Why do I sabotage my own life, you know, and all these things? And a lot of times you'll discover it was a survival skill you learn uh, early on in life that worked perfectly fine for a child, but it's not appropriate for somebody in their 40s. It's just usually when we go to therapy. So, um, uh, so life is a lot of times a, a matter of, of trying to cope with a thinking process, either one developed subconsciously, one ha uh, handed to us, one that we developed as a child when we weren't thinking um, as, as uh, largely as, as we would need to. And so the, the mind and, and the thought processes of life are, are just uh, at the very core of what happens to us. And so Paul says, take up a helmet of salvation. Take up a helmet to guard the mind and to protect the mind that is made up of salvation itself. And I would challenge you this morning, as you think of that, to take the helmet of salvation, that is to, to start thinking like a Christian and, and processing information like a Christian. And we can't go into the whole of that. And it's, in some ways, the whole process of sanctification is learning how to think like a Christian and respond like a Christian. But I just want to suggest a few things to you this morning. The first is that, that if you're going to think like a Christian, you need to be a Christian. You need to understand what salvation is and have come to experience that. Not as some uh, kind of uh, a passive experience as a kid where, where I floated through church and my uncle happens to go to church or you know that kind of thing, but where you have a personal knowledge of Christ, a personal love and devotion to Christ, you have given your life to Christ as Lord and Savior. See, that, that word salvation has, has so many dimensions to it and, and so many dynamics that are surrounding it. Uh, and just, to, well, you know, a, a little while ago when we talked about peace, we read in Romans 5.1 that being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's one of the things salvation is. We're no longer at war with God. You say, well, I never did think badly of God. I just didn't think about God at all. No, we were actually enemies of God. 
We were opposed to his will, opposed to his sovereignty, opposed to his royal right to reign over us, trying to run lives ourselves and, and, and uh, just direct where our resources went and how our lives were lived. We were at odds with God. We were enemies of God. But the great thing about the love of God is that even when we were sinners and we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. And he brought us out of the warfare and he brought us into peace with God, which is the only way to have peace within and peace with others. And so salvation is about having peace no more at war. At war no longer because of salvation. Let that be the helmet of salvation for you. Let me direct your attention to Romans chapter 3. Just very quickly, won't read too many verses here, but Romans chapter 3, if we pick it up in verse 23, there's several other terms and pictures of salvation that will be a part of this this helmet thinking process. And we pick it up mid-sentence in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all of us who have come to Christ are justified by his grace as a gift. That word justify comes from the law courts. You see, we are guilty of our sins. We have violated the law of God. We deserve to be condemned. And when we stand before God, the only righteous judgment according to our own merit would be condemnation. Oh, very quickly, that the book of Revelation, you remember, has that scene in chapter 20 where um, uh, it says that there were books brought forward. The way it describes books, and that's plural, it's books. And these are the deeds that you've done, the deeds of men. And you can come forward and you can say, I want to be judged according to those books. You've kept a record of everything I've ever done. I want to be judged by those deeds. This is what the person means when they say, I'm basically a good person. See, I, I, I remember a lot of good stuff. I want to be judged by my works. But then the Revelation chapter 20 says, but there was a book, singular. And there was also a book. And when you come to be judged, here's the judgment. That book is open. And if your name is found there written in the Lamb's book of life, you know everlasting life and you're brought into glory. But if you're judged by your works... Your works are lacking, for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we receive the just condemnation for our sins. Folks, this morning you have a choice. Do you want to be judged by the books of your works, which are failing, or by the book of the Lamb, the book of life? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? So we need to be justified. We need to be declared not guilty. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus Christ is our lawyer. He's our advocate. And when we come before the law court, Jesus says, this man is not guilty. This woman is not guilty. Here's why, Father, because I took his, I took her guilt upon myself. And I have been judged guilty in his place. And he is now innocent and clean from all unrighteousness. So to think like a Christian is, and, and to think about salvation is to think about the fact that we are justified. We are guilty no longer. Well, back to Romans 3. And this is, uh, we're picking up verse 24. And we are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word redemption, we are redeemed. I love the, the, the choir anthem, didn't you? I've been redeemed. That comes from the marketplace. 
And in the marketplace, you, of course, you're buying things, but you're buying people. You know, the, the, the ancient world was a slave economy. They could not imagine a world in which there weren't slaves. If you went to the slaves and said, can you imagine a world in which there's no slavery? They said, no, how, how, how could that possibly be? Where are you going to get cheap labor? How, how am I going to get credit? How am I going to borrow money if I can't sell my life, my body as collateral for a loan? I mean, it, it was a very uh, complex sort of thing. But what you would find in the marketplace were human beings being sold as slaves. Just imagine when someone comes into the marketplace and they find the slave, and they buy him for himself, and they say to that slave, you're set free. No, you can't pay me back. I wouldn't have it. But you're free simply because of my grace. See, to be saved is to be redeemed, is to be set free. We are slaves no longer. We are in bondage no longer. And that, by the way, is why whenever the devil whispers in your ear and says, see, you can't get out from under that that life pattern. You can't get out from under that habit. You can't get out from under that way that you're always taking the wrong step or or, or flying off the handle, Um, whatever that means. And the devil says, you see, you're still bound to all that. All you say is, no, I've been redeemed. I've been set free. You know, and for a while I'm going to struggle with it, just for a little while. But before you know it, I'll be free entirely and completely. And that work that God began in me will be completed and brought to its finish. And I've been redeemed. That's who I am. Well, we, we read on because there's, there's still another really great word going on here. And uh, so uh, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. I love that word propitiation, don't you? Practice right now, propitiation. Use it. It doesn't matter. Nobody else knows what it means. You can use it any way you like. They'll think you're smart. But propitiation is a word... Uh, taken from the temple. In the temple, a person came and they had their sins. And God provided a sacrificial system, not that the, bl- the blood of, of bulls and goats could take away our sins, but it was a sermon and a promise in action that said, God, whereby God said, someday I will supply the perfect lamb and the perfect sacrifice. And that sacrifice will take away your sins. But until then, the faith you bring to your sacrifice and the the sacrificial uh, animal is is offered up in your place, that's what I'm going to do in the Messiah. And so we deserve the wrath of God, but God has supplied the sacrifice that takes away his wrath. We have wrath. We are under wrath no more because of the blood of Jesus Christ. See, that's, that's what salvation is. And so as you, as you think about salvation, you know, and put on this helmet of salvation, put on uh, salvation in all its multiple aspects and all the pictures and all the language that it has because it, it just totally reshapes how we think and how we view the world. So put on this helmet of salvation. So the first thing to think like a Christian is to be a Christian, to know this salvation and to know the depth of what God has done by his grace for us. Uh, you say, well, I'm... You know, I've been saved, but then I still struggle with these things. I know I'm free. 
I know I'm declared not guilty. I, I know I've been, you know, been, been redeemed and, and uh, you know, all these things, but I still struggle with it. Well, it shouldn't surprise you too much. Let, let me ask you, uh, I'll read it for you if you don't, but if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, read very quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 7. Uh, this is a passage in which Paul is talking about um, the way God has revealed his glory to him. And, and just glorious visions of what uh, eternal, the eternal presence of God will be like. And, it's just, and Paul is saying he's just overwhelmed by the, um, the majesty of this vision of glory that was given to him. But we pick it up in verse 7. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. And remember that Paul used to be a Pharisee. He'd been a Pharisee before he was converted. And I suspect he, like many of the Pharisees, were a little bit conceited about their own righteousness. They were a little bit impressed with themselves that they kept the law. And so there's, there's sort of a bleed over into Paul's life there. You know, at one time he was proud of the way that, that he had kept the law. And now there was this temptation to be proud of the way that God had given him a ministry and given him revelation. And so he says, because, or, or to keep me from being conceited about these revelations a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited we have no idea what that thorn is scholars have argued back and forth about the nature of that thorn but here's what we know that thorn bothered Paul and it wasn't something that he said wow this is a really great thing but he thought of it as a believer who knew he was set free by the blood of Jesus Christ and he said, so I prayed three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's a person thinking with the helmet of salvation. He says, yeah, I might be struggling with this, but God's power is greater. And I might still have this thorn gnawing at me and bothering me, but God's power is greater. And so this thorn just shows me my weakness but the moment I think that, that I can't stand that, all I need to remember is that God's power is made perfect in my weakness. And he goes on to say, so I'm going to boast about my weakness. And I'll tell you what God is doing in my life. That's somebody thinking with the helmet of salvation. Knowing that he's saved. And knowing that the victory. Struggling in, uh, along the way. But knowing that God's power is greater still. So the first thing is to be a Christian. Second thing I would say about, uh, and very quickly, about uh, thinking as a, tr as a believer in Christ is let your salvation then become the anchor of your identity, the anchor of who you know yourself to be. Um, you know, when, when we talk to people, don't you always say, where are you from? Where are you from? And if they say, well, I'm, I'm from the South, it's, uh, in your prejudicial mind, that says one thing. Or if you say, I'm from New England, uh, you say, well, you know, most New Englanders are this way or that way. If they say, well, I was a military kid and I traveled around all over the place, you think, wow, that must be the greatest human being ever. <laughs> you know, but, but we say, where are you from? We're trying to identify a person that way. When you're thinking about your identity, who are you? The answer is, I'm a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God who's been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. I'm on my way to glory, and in that process, I'm experiencing just an upward path day by day by day 
by day. Now, there's, there's somebody who got me uh, interested, and so I actually watched an episode of a video series. It's called uh, Crown. Uh, has anybody seen it? Uh, somebody over there has. But uh, no, Okay. But anyway, it, it, you've got to watch it now. It's on Netflix. And thanks to John, we have Netflix. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but it, it's the story of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. So right now I'm really into court procedure and how you talk to the king and come into the presence of the king and so forth. And uh, so what, what I'm noticing is, is, is that uh, whenever somebody comes to see the king, they don't just walk right in. Now, somebody has to introduce them into the king's presence. Um, and I don't know if that's called the major domo or the herald or whatever it is. Um, but anyway, there, there's a guy, and he walks in, he says, Your Majesty, may I present to you the prime minister? The prime minister walks in, and he gets just a little bit of time with the king, and then he leaves. But here's what happens for us. Here's who we are. This is our identity. Jesus Christ introduces us into the presence of the Father. And as we come in, he says, Father, I want to introduce to you one of your children. This is Wayne. He happens to be my favorite. <laughs> I tell the story my way. I said, but this is, this is Wayne. He's your child. He's a brother of mine. And the father says, you belong to Jesus. You're with him. You don't have to leave. You stay here. You're in my presence. See, let your salvation be the anchor of your identity. That's who you are, and that's what it means to be thinking as a a Christian. And then also, um, thirdly, think long and think often about your salvation. A lot of times we, we talk about salvation on Sunday because that's what you do on Sunday. You come to church and you talk about salvation uh, until, you know, the afternoon and then, uh, you know, you're off to a sports event or, or something else and then Monday through Friday and Saturday and all that. And, and then the next Sunday, you talk about salvation. Look, let's talk about salvation all the time here at church and on Sunday. But every day of the week, talk about salvation. Some people only talk about salvation at funerals. I'm telling you, folks, it's one of the most heartbreaking experiences when a family comes to you and they say, well, here's our loved one and they're deceased when you do the funeral. And you say, well, what about their faith? I always ask them, well, what about their faith? Well, I don't know. We think he believed in Christ. He went to church as a child, but we don't know. And folks, I, I'm not in the position to judge anybody's salvation. But I'll tell you this, It is a joy when somebody can say, we know where she is. We know where he is in heaven. We know that he loved the Lord. We know that he was committed to his Father in heaven. We know the Holy Spirit was at work in his life. What a blessing it is to hear that testimony of certainty. Folks, I want to challenge you this morning. I really do. This is the greatest gift you can give to your family, is assurance of your eternal home with the Father in heaven. To give to your family the ability that if they're standing beside your casket, they can bear this testimony. We know where he is. We know she's with the Lord. There's not a shadow of a doubt in our minds. This is a gift you can give to your family. 
It's the greatest gift of all. Speak long and speak often about about your faith and and think about it. Just let it roll through your head. Sing about it. Just just come, you know, you'll find yourself doing things like, you know, let, let me tell you about my sin. But when I tell you about my sin, there's this incredible, joyful, blissful thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. What's the next line? Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. Now just start singing about your salvation. Uh, do it where nobody can hear you, or they'll lock you up. But, you know, but, you know just, just often, for long periods of time, just think about the joy and the glory of your salvation in Jesus Christ. And let that be the way that you think, you know, as you think as a Christian. And, and, you know, lastly, I would say to think as a Christian, rejoice in your salvation. Just, just let joy surround your salvation. When you rejoice in your salvation, you're building a wall of joy that the devil cannot penetrate. You know, when the devil tries to come at you, and say, you need to be discouraged, or you need to be downtrodden, you need to give up, you're weak, you're this, you're that. All you say is, I've got this wall of joy and that Satan can't pass through. He can't get to me because I'm rejoicing over my salvation, and, and this joy keeps the devil out of my life. So rejoice in your salvation. So that, 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 those are the kinds of things I think of when I think of putting on the helmet of salvation and, and thinking like a Christian and letting your mind flow in the direction of Jesus Christ constantly. Uh, because when you do, then, then your, your salvation becomes real and, and the devil has no place and he can't, he can't get at you uh, that way. Now, folks, my prayer for you is that you know that you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, if you don't, if, if you're unsure, or maybe you... You, you say, well, I, I believe he's Lord and Savior. And, and I love what Randy said, that invitation earlier this morning. Just to, I, I, but I want the world to know. I want to bear testimony that Jesus died for my sins and was raised on my behalf. And in the waters of baptism, I want to bear testimony that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That's my prayer for you. Because when the attack of the evil one comes your way, I want you to have on your head a helmet of salvation. You're thinking like a Christian. And then the devil just can't get at you because you have a helmet of salvation. Let's bow together in prayer. And once again, gracious Father, we find ourselves just thrown upon your grace, realizing that in and of ourselves we can do nothing. But Father, that in Christ Jesus, all things are possible, even a life of faith, even a life filled with your grace and mercy. And so I pray that we would turn our eyes heavenward, fix our gaze on things above where Christ is seated at your right hand. And Father, that in so doing, our minds would be changed and our thinking would be changed and that we would come to focus solely, entirely, completely on you for your glory, all in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs)